there, I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Loss and Found, where every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate you giving me an hour of your time. This hour is about life uh, from the per- perspective of loss. Um, I really view Loss and Found to be about self-discovery and about helping you as the listener find that something in your loss, that that moment when you say, oh, I get it now, um, that moment when you recognize that who you were and um, who you are, uh, you know, would not be possible if what you experienced did not occur. And once you have that something, it's it's about embracing it and uh, allowing it to bring you to a higher level of being. You know, I, I hope that folks find uh, themselves to be more loving, more kind, more caring towards themselves and others through their loss as they discover uh, meaning behind it, you know. Um, I hope that each of you listening can walk away with greater insight into your loss, uh, greater insight or understanding of how it can uh, shape you, losses can shape us, and a greater understanding of others' loss. And maybe, you know, each week we try to talk a little bit too about how to support folks that are are grieving, and particularly if it's a loss that you've not experienced. So um, my, my goal is to encourage folks and not only just do some education, but but to walk away feeling refreshed and always to have some smiles and laughter. And um, I do have a guest today, and I think we will have some some laughter today. So how did you all like last week's show? I uh, ran an encore of my interview with Jay Mace III, and be sure to download the podcast if you missed it. You can do that at just about, I think, any place that you download podcasts. You can definitely do it from 1150kknw.com. Mace is a, is a poet, and um, wrote the book, or a little poetry book, and then I got fired. One Trans Queer's Reflections on Grief, Unemployment, and Inappropriate Jokes About Death. Um, He reads a few poems, and I I thought it was really powerful, the insights that he has. So I really enjoyed the hour with him, and I hope you did too. And again, be sure to download it if um, if you did not have the opportunity to listen last week. Today we are going to be going uh, with a younger generation. I have a, a 20-something here in the studio, and she's going to be sharing with us the death of, of her father and, and the impact that that, last, that loss had on her life. And so if you know someone who has experienced a loss as a younger person, uh, particularly under between the ages of 20 and 30, this would be a, a really good show, time to, to text them and have them tune in. They can do so on 1150kknw.com and uh, have them take a listen. And I think that they'll find some encouragement and perhaps see some of themselves in the show, but hopefully find some encouragement as well. Um, before we, we, we bring her in, though, I, I kind of want to give you a little background, a, a little bit of statistics on loss what that takes place uh, when someone is in their 20s. I, I have an article that I found in a paper, a Sacramento paper, and it, it talks about how the hard numbers are difficult to find on how many millennials have lost a parent. But at any given time, roughly 22% to 30% of college undergraduates are in their first 12 months of grieving for a loved one, either a parent, a grandparent, sibling, or close friend. I find that astounding, 22 to 30% of folks in college. Losing a parent for anyone is unsettling, but it's really particularly hard for the younger generation of young millennials because they... um, we're finding that they tend to settle down later in marriage. They have later careers, um, homes. You know, they're living with their their parents for a longer period of time, uh, either financially or emotionally supportive with their parents. And they're on their way to uh, adulthood, but they're not really quite yet there as um, a psychiatrist, uh, Jeffrey Arnett, who's actually a psychologist in Massachusetts, talks about this. He's been studying about loss in young adults. And he says that they're independent and not committed to the structure of an adult life. And with the median marriage age closer to 30, he noted many do not have the emotional support of a spouse. And that happens a lot with other types of losses. We'll usually have someone else involved in our lives that can support us. So being in the emerging stage when a parent dies can cause young adults to feel like their world has blown up. Whether they're in school part-time, starting a new job, or navigating the early stages of an adult relationship, emerging adults need older adults to be stable and consistent and to guide them over bridges they have not yet crossed. For many of those folks, that is their parents. It goes on to talk about uh, a gentleman who lost his father at age 21 
who at age 25 is still experiencing a lot of anger and depression because he does not have his father to talk about life with, to talk about the experiences that he is having to go to for advice. Um, It's not uncommon for folks to experience those things. It goes on to say that um, uh, as such, parental death is often so tragic, it becomes an obstacle for emerging adults. Um, It says that while loss can sometimes be a catalyst for positive change, that's rarely the case for 20-somethings, he said, who may not have a clear sense of the future and are more likely to resort to suicide or substance abuse. This really may um, obstruct their development for a while, When they haven't had a lot of tempering or a lot of experience in life, they tend to just feel that this is unfair, that their parent dying is unfair, and part of the challenge is to help them to keep finding meaning. And then the article went on to talk about how there just aren't a lot of groups and support in general for ages, uh, folks ages 20 to 30, that there is a gap, gap in services. You can find a lot of support groups for kids. You can find a lot of support groups for teens. But when it comes to young adults, they are hard to come by. So I think I think this is going to be an interesting discussion. I'll be anxious to see if my guest um, relates to any of these things that uh, research is showing. And uh, when we come back, we are going to be talking with her. Let's take a, a quick break. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found, and you are listening to it on 1150kknw.com. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. What's your story? Have you ever sat with that question and looked to your heart for the answer? It's time to explore the real you. Tune in Thursdays from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. for the brand new show, Story You, with Coach Debbie. Debbie and her guests have a mission to inspire and coach you to find your voice. If you need direction, Story You with Coach Debbie is for you. If you want to be an author, Story You with Coach Debbie is for you. Tune in Thursdays at 4 p.m. and be inspired. Are you ready for something real, raw, upfront, and honest? Then tune in each Wednesday at 2 p.m. right here for Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and the host, Sakura Sutter. This show is unlike anything you have ever heard and was created to help others to help themselves. Hear me follow up with guests I have hypnotized and see how it has improved their lives. I will also spotlight amazing people from around the world. Their skin tips, live readings, and answers to life's burning questions. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. I'm Kathy Cooper. You're listening to Lost and Found on 1150 KKNW. Thank you for tuning in. Today, my guest is Amina Jojic. She is a young woman of Bosnian descent, Muslim faith, and I can attest to an amazing social worker. She lost her father um, on June 27th, uh, 2017, at the age of 24. Amina, welcome, and uh, thanks for being here today and being willing to share your story with us. Thanks for having me. All right, so... Tell us a little bit about your dad and his illness and, and what, what occurred with him. You're, but even just what was your relationship like with him? Sure. Um, so I think a big part of it is that we were refugees from Bosnia and we moved here in 96. So <clears throat> knowing that all of our lives he worked two jobs and that was to make sure we were uh, cared for and provided uh, for financially and that we had opportunities in education and anything else that we wanted. Mm. Uh, because of where we came from, a war-torn country that wasn't a possibility for us. And so that's the perspective that he came from. Um, So my relationship with him was a strong one. I respected him dearly. I saw his work ethic. I appreciated all that he had sacrificed for all those years for Mm -hmm. us. But I did miss him. We didn't get a lot of time with him. Uh, But I knew that he was doing this for us. Um, So he him and I would have great conversations, late night talks. We would talk about life, uh, religion, politics, anything, you name it. 
uh, we were very close in the fact that he would come home at night after long days of work and I would be studying and he would stay up with me while I was still studying. So we had a really good relationship. My first job was with him at Pizza Hut. So oh. he trained me <laughs> and helped me show show me the ways of, of the things of making pizza. So yeah. uh, we were really close, really close. Um, and I was at work when I uh, did find out that uh, he was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but that's all I knew. And my sister texted me saying, hey, uh, he's at Evergreen Hospital in Kirkland. You need to come here now. And uh, I saw on my phone that he had actually called me an hour and a half before that, and I had missed his call. So I went over to Evergreen Hospital, and I walked into the emergency room, and he was in one of the trauma rooms, and uh, he was just laying there intubated. Mm -hmm. um, no one said anything. No one could tell us anything. Um they could just say that he had a massive brain bleed. But to the extent they did not know or they could not tell us at that moment. Mm -hmm. So basically what had happened, he was working at Pizza Hut, his second job, and he was driving to deliver a pizza and someone had found him on the side of the road. Um, he was basically dead at that point and uh, the ambulance was called and uh, they resuscitated him brought him back to life, brought him to the emergency room, and then he was transferred up to critical care. And uh, soon after that, after a lot of testing, they just found out that the brain bleed had gone down to his brain stem. And the best case scenario was that he would wake up and he would be a vegetable for the rest of his life. Wow. Yeah, so it was a sudden death. Um, and leading up to that, we didn't know that he was that sick. We knew he had problems with his blood pressure due to stress and constant work. Working, yeah. Um, yeah. And I can confidently say that I think he did work himself to death. Mm -hmm. um, but he wasn't taking his blood pressure medications. He avoided the doctor like many people in our culture do. Um, and the only complaints that we heard of is he had a headache the days before. He was a little bit more tired. Um his vision was kind of blurry, but we didn't know that those were signs of something major. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were all taken by surprise um, and in total shock. Mm -hmm. Every one of his friends and family members couldn't believe it. Yeah. So you get there. He's that's when you don't have a chance to say goodbye. Yeah. The last thing I said to him was uh, before he went to work, say, all right, dad, love you. See you later. Mm -hmm. And just kind of waved casually at him yeah, expecting him to, exactly. to see him that night and yeah. carry on but uh yeah it was it felt unfair so that um that information you shared earlier uh, in the show resonated with me it did feel unfair that he went like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely yeah so sudden not getting a chance to say anything more yeah and yeah. Okay. Did he leave you a message when he had called you? No. Um, I think at that point he was actively dying. And I think he was mm. trying to contact someone to tell them that he wasn't feeling okay. So he had actually called me and then my mother and then left an incoherent message with my mom. Oh, um, she hard. didn't understand, yeah, what he was trying to say on the phone. And, um, yeah, we... We didn't talk. So those, so you all had to make a decision to, to let him pass. Is, yeah, like let's let his physical body. Yes, go. yeah. So he, um, they did a bunch of testing, and basically because the brain bleed was so bad, um, they said if this had happened on the operating table, we wouldn't have been able to save him. And uh, the only thing that was keeping his heart beating was the monitors, mm -hmm. um, the machines. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, uh, it was interesting. My mom, she said, well, why can't the doctors just let the medicine wear off and so he can wake up? And so there was a whole uh, gap in health literacy that was taking place between her and the healthcare team. And uh, that was a moment of making sure that she understood mm -hmm. that it wasn't any medicine that was sedating him anymore that had worn off. Um, then that realization came to her, some denial, 
you know, right away. Like, oh, well, that can't be. Like, let's just yeah. give him some time. You know, it's just been a day. Maybe in another day he'll wake up. And um, the nurses were really good about drawing pictures for us and explaining how bad and severe the damage was. And so then, um, you know, from a religious perspective, medical intervention for us is appropriate until I think just the body is basically dead and Mm -hmm. you're forcing it to stay alive with some machines. So we just said, you know, if this is the only thing that's keeping him alive, that's not fair to him. And you all agreed with that. We all, wow. That's, we all agreed with that. Yeah. Yeah. Some, we waited for, he has five other brothers. He had five other brothers at that time. He was the youngest of five actually. And we waited for them to all show up and uh, for them to understand what was going on. And uh, we were actually expecting them to help us make that decision. But they ultimately said, this is up to you guys, you and your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really it was an, a nice collective agreement. It was nice that we were able to come up with an agreement and that there wasn't um, difficult discussions around. Well, what does it mean? For you, if he's on machines and his heart is beating, does that not mean he's alive technically mm-hmm, and that he does mm-hmm. deserve to have a chance? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were we were pretty good about being on the same page, thankfully. That's, was, yeah, that's a gift to each other. Yeah. You didn't have to have the, the arguments and, and fighting over that. Yes. So what, what was it like for you that, do you remember the moment when you realized my dad is gone and what that was like for you? Um... I I was in disbelief. I was in shock. I was confused as to why. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why this had to happen to me. I was only 24. Mm-hmm. I was a good daughter. I didn't do anything bad. I respected and loved him. You know, why was God taking him away from me? And, I and was, isn't that interesting yeah. that that's so much what children think younger kids and i think that is really indicative of that is that parent-child relationship of we personalize it why did this happen yeah and i was upset because i wanted more time with him you know Mm -hmm. i said well i didn't even get to hang out with him that much he was working all the time you know um so i when i realized i remember i was praying for a miracle Mm -hmm. i had verbalized i was okay with pulling life support but I was still praying up until that point that something could possibly change Mm -hmm. and um I remember he had some minor movements in his body and I said oh my god look like he's moving possibly could it be could it be and they were like no this is just a side effect sometimes this happens but he's not making any progress Mm -hmm. um so I yeah I was devastated but then when I did realize that, okay, he is going to die and he is no longer with us, I automatically thought, what are the next steps, what are the next steps that we have to take? Mm-hmm. And um, I looked around me and I could see the suffering that my mom and sister were going through. Uh, my sister's older. She's, she was, she's 29 now, so 27 at that time. And uh, my brother was seven, 16 or 17 at that time. So um, I was concerned about him because he wasn't very verbal Mm -hmm. throughout the incident. Um, And I saw that my mom and my sister were very emotional. And so I took it upon myself um, to be the one Mm -hmm. to to call our local imam and reach out to him and see what next steps we had to do in funeral preparation and... um, just kind of check the boxes that we needed to to get the the ceremony um, ready. Do you feel like that was helpful to you in processing things, or do you feel like that was just what you had to focus on and you weren't able to experience your feelings? I was very a matter of fact at that time. I was like, okay, this is this is happening. Um, I can't do anything about it, but what I can do is ensure that he has a beautiful ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, things are done well. I you know, he's gone, but I know that he would want me to be strong for my family. 
And no, so what I, does that? Okay, what does that mm-hmm. mean? When because I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Be strong, and every people yeah. listening, that's what we say. Yeah. I gotta be strong. What does that mean? For me, in that moment, it meant hold it together, because that will be easier for them if you're if you don't break down. Mm-hmm. So like they're already breaking down, so you just don't, and then they don't have to worry about you. Okay, so one way to alleviate stress on them is for you to to maintain your composure and hold it together because then that's one less thing they have to to worry about yes okay interesting that's uh, interesting okay um yeah but i was that was my way of coping in that Mm -hmm. moment is what can i take control of which became a pattern in the months and years so to come after his death um go ahead and speak to that if yeah so hindsight I realized that uh, I felt like my dad is physically not here. Therefore, I have no father anymore. So I live my life as if I never had a father. And I have to just pretend like he's not here. And there's, it's just, it is what it is. And so a lot of my connection to him and my emotions and memories kind of went away with that. And, um, Oh, let me stop that. Let's let's mm-hmm. break that There's down. There's two a things, yeah. Yeah, let's break that down. <laughs> okay. So, uh, oh, go ahead. So, so you, yeah. So you are, you're you're grieving, but basically, you're almost pretending that he just he didn't exist. My way of coping was to just push that aside. Like, and all right. I'm just going forward without a father. Just going to do my thing. Figure it out. Okay, and so memories and all that. When when we have a lot of this, mm-hmm. especially initially what you're pushing them down i yes unless we were talking about it in conversation with family or unless i saw a picture um initially in the first couple weeks i there was a lot of feeling a lot of loss Mm -hmm. feeling of loss but then after that in the couple months after that it was more of that pushing aside Mm -hmm. those memories Mm -hmm. and emotions so i could focus on completing my last uh year of grad school yeah, so I was in middle of grad school and I was placed at an internship in the neonatal intensive care unit. And so that had a lot of triggers in its own. Um, but. So so, so mm-hmm. it was something that and I think that's what's important for, for people that are listening. That was a coping mechanism that you needed to do to be able to get through a certain period of your life. Yeah. Now, when you do that, the other side of that is at some point you have to go back and go through. Am I correct? Yes. You had to go back and go through what that whole process yes. was. And the, I am experiencing that to this day. Okay. So you were and in controlling, you used the word that basically that was a way for you to control things. What what else? I uh, controlled my diet. So in uh, grad school, I was more health conscious because I thought the things that killed him were lifestyle, I believe. Mm. So overstressed, um, maybe not eating the healthiest of foods. So what, how can I mitigate those risks in my life? And I became vegan for six months. And it was this sense of I'm controlling all possible risk factors mm-hmm. at this moment. And that for me was how I coped with his death. Yeah. Because if it happened to him, it definitely won't happen to me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're listening to Lost and Found. I'm Kathy Cooper, and we're um, having a conversation with Amina, um, who has lost her father in um, 19 or 19, 2017. And um, she's sharing her experiences about that. And I think that's what I think young folks, young people, I think that's probably what they're relating to is my experience is especially a lot of, well, I know males too, that turn it inward and do what is something I can control. Mm -hmm. And they find something that they are. You were using, you know, so vegan. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you had um, difficulty with food? Do you feel like you were having like a control issue with food, how much you wanted to eat or just your diet? It was just my diet. It was just my diet. And it was to the point where um, obviously like moral things came up for me with being vegan too. You know, Mm -hmm. the animal cruelty part of not being vegan was an issue for me but I was doing it uh I was being vegan regardless of the uh, negative uh side effects I was having actually with 
uh, my body. So I had a lack of energy. I didn't feel very well. So it wasn't um, working for it you. It wasn't working, but I wasn't willing to give up on it until I woke up one day and I said, I can't do this anymore. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so that was an exercise also being, you know, going to the gym a yeah. lot, being healthy, um, asking my doctor to test my blood and just extremely like mm. make sure that I won't die. Yes. Okay. Okay. And so then um, now you're fast forward a few years. Yeah. Where are you with that part of the process? I'm no longer vegan. <laughs> um, I am kinder to myself in this process of missing him. I am allowing myself to miss him more. Mm. And he's actually coming up in my dreams more often than I've ever had before which is a really interesting thing for me now. Why do you think that is? Um, I think because I'm allowing it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not forcing him away from my thoughts anymore. Um, Does that uh, feel comfortable to you to be able to? Uh, no, it mm -hmm. doesn't. It's, 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 it hurts. It, you know, it's um, hurtful and sad to see him in my dreams and then wake up and realize he's not here. Mm -hmm. but I think I'm admitting of how much I miss him. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy to be able to at least see him in my dreams. See, the, the interesting thing is we have to embrace to, you know, to move forward and, and you know that, and you know, it, do you, when you're, so when you're dreaming of him and, and just because others, you know, I don't know how vivid other people listening have dream of their loved one. But when you are ready to to begin to and, and your your father probably knows that you're ready now to begin to process some of this and the bit by bit. Are your dreams like he's it's a visual, a clear vision of him in your dreams? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. OK. And so you're um, embracing that and, and kind of yeah. moving forward. Some of with them it. are interesting. Like the first vivid dream that I had of him was him laying in his hospital bed and he woke up and he said, what's going on? Oh. And for me, I'm like, Oh, well, if you don't think you're dead, then maybe you're not. Oh yeah. And then I woke up and I said, wait, that was a dream. Yeah. So they're interesting. Sometimes I don't like them because I feel like they trick me. But then other t I, hinds I look back and I say I'm great. I feel grateful that I had that connection. It would be really interesting if you would journal about them because yeah. in my mind and from this side of it, it seems like as time passes, you are going to learn and you're going to find meaning through things. Yeah. I think your dreams are probably speaking to you and, and you're working obviously through it. But mm -hmm. it would be interesting if you would um, journal and just kind of have that to look back on. It's um, a good idea. To be able to, you know, even like a, a month from now, what mm -hmm. was that dream? And, and you may see something that has come to light that was triggered by that dream. And I don't know, just um, if it's if you're they're very vivid, there's a lot in there if they're very yeah, vivid. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, and the, he's also come up in just uh, when I meditate and I do breathing exercises. Um, I'll actually visualize him sitting in the room with me and mm. just smiling mm -hmm. at me and being approving of uh, the care that I'm giving to myself in that time, which I've never experienced that before either. Yeah. Um, and just uh, him meeting my fiance in in vi very vividly during that meditation as well, mm -hmm. um, which was very fascinating and cool and also like what does that mean see that this this kind of stuff totally stokes me because <laughs> i i believe that i mean i believe his presence is i believe is very well there i believe he is his presence is still there he is walking with you and maybe even walking more with you now because he knows his little girl is hurting and he wants to to help heal and then what what can happen at times is once you you heal somewhat and you go through the process he may then not show himself anymore or show himself, you know, yeah. um, down the road or, or not be as, as present. And then that 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 can be sad 
for for people but um I, that's you're those are like over here as a grief counselor i'm like these are gifts this is awesome <laughs> and when really you're like okay this is like great but it's really not so great because it's reminding me that my father's not here and and it's really quite painful so yeah um, but yeah uh it's uh quite powerful that you're having such images so cool. so yeah in a death so how has how has the loss affected your your relationships with with people and, and people question. that you're close to yeah um i would say that they so my relationships with my siblings and my mother um have become more significant to me um only knowing that no day is guaranteed with them mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. i don't take their time as much for granted as maybe i did before um, I like how you said that because a lot of people will say, I don't take it for granted, <laughs> but I like that you qualify that because the likelihood of that is, yeah, I, d- I still do. Yes. But you're much more aware th- what one thing you have found is how important it is to be present and be aware with family is mm-hmm. what, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then initially it was, uh, almost overbearing. We were with our family all the time you know especially with my mom we we were with her all the time mm-hmm. just wanting to make sure she was okay and now that's kind of come back to baseline of we're with each other in a normal amount of time and take time for granted and try not to all the time um but in, with my relationship with my fiance um it's interesting because my father was my and i was thinking about this on the drive over uh, my my father was my number one male role model. Mm-hmm. He was it. And so when I felt that go away, nothing replaced that. Um, after meeting my fiance, I look up to him as my fiance and as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think he's fantastic. And the care and love for him that I feel is so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, with love also comes trauma, I think or uh, there's some triggers that are taking place that I never mm-hmm. expected to take place in my relationship with my fiance. For example, um, you know, normal things happen, like your phone dies or you get, you know, really busy involved talking with a friend and a couple hours pass by. And uh, for me, I was scared that he was injured, uh, yeah. an accident happened. Mm-hmm. What if what if he's not coming back? Um I went down the list of the things that could have happened to him physically. So like if there's so, hey, we were going to touch base at this time. I haven't heard from him. He said, it, you know, then your mind starts going down. OK, yes. what, OK. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I was mad. I was mad at him. I said, well, how could you not oh, tell yeah. me? <laughs> and he did. It didn't register with him because. For, to him, he was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I explained to him after doing a lot of my own thinking that this is where my trigger is, is you, you not responding, therefore you're not coming back, I think. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been something that we've had to talk about. Uh, yeah. That's, it, that in way, talking about things in ways that when this comes up again, how can we approach it in a sustainable way? Mm-hmm. So he can't text me every five minutes because that's not normal. Yeah. But I also need to know at least maybe in a certain amount of time, just let me know you're okay. And then I don't care after that. Yeah. Then my worries are subsided and that's fine. So we've had to, we have, we've had to navigate those mm-hmm. situations. I think that's, that's an interesting part because what you learned is, Someone that I love can go away in an instant, yeah, without any warning, and then, um, so now it's trying to navigate. I care about you. That means you can go, and it isn't interesting, even though you know we're adults. The, right. The the meaning that we put in the story that that is around such such an instance like that is, hey, if you leave, if I'm you know if I'm not, and you missed his call. You know, and I don't know if that maybe plays into the fact of, too, of what if, you know, if I would have, you know, picked up that phone call, but I missed his phone call. Right. And so that meant and then something bad happened because I didn't get the call. Yeah. Yeah. 
Huh. Yeah, and and so working through that, that'll be that'll be an interesting, interesting um, part to to continue to go with him. But I, I'm glad that he understands that. And I think, and I think it, you know, as as listeners, looking at relationships and being able to to analyze. Just, I mean, that's a great thing that you could analyze that and go, wait a minute, yeah, why is it bothering me that I didn't hear from him? Because it, to to me, it would have been normal that okay, you got busy, you're doing whatever, not a big deal. But to you, it had meaning behind it and being able to look at that. And, and as listeners, you know, I encourage you all to to do that. If, if there is something going on in a relationship that you are finding a trigger, you know, and you have had a loss, it more than likely is is related to, to something, some fear that you have behind yes. that. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Are, are there other things that you've noticed in just in relationships in general, like what things that uh boy this kind of hinders me or hey this is what i've learned and it's really helping me have a deeper relationship i think that um it's interesting for me and my relationships how people view my grief process as uh wow you're so strong mm. you were so strong during those couple months etc like i couldn't believe it um, so when I talk to my good friends, uh, you know, family members, whoever it is, I look back and I say, actually, I don't think that I was strong enough to be able to feel in that moment. So mm -hmm. this is all I could do to survive. So I don't think that because my mother and my sister, whoever else were breaking down and tearful, I don't think that means that they weren't strong. I just think that that's all I could do to continue on every day. Okay, that that right there is deep. I love that. <laughs> no, I, I love that because you, what, what you just said, it wasn't that you were strong. You weren't able to feel at that moment. And that's what we do. We look at people who don't shed the tears, who, you know, you're making the arrangements, you're doing all of that. Right. You're carrying the family on your shoulders and we look at that and go, wow, that's a really strong person. When really, as you say, no, it was a person that didn't have the opportunity to feel what was going on. Yeah. And when you are feeling, that is also strength. Right. And that is what strength is, is allowing those emotions. So that's a that's a great observation for someone. Yeah, that's a great observation. And I've had to unlearn that narrative in mm. my mind. So it's okay for me to show emotion in my relationships and know that that doesn't mean that I'm weak. Yes. And um, it's been a learning process. Um, so that's I've learned that in my relationships for sure, that I have to, mm. I have to know that I am safe to express these feelings and I won't be judged for my tears mm -hmm. or for my struggle. Mm-hmm. Do you find it is your first instinct to be that that strong person? Yeah. Before you allow the emotions to come. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. All right. This is um, Lost and Found. Um, I'm Kathy Cooper, and you are listening to a conversation that I am having with Amina, who um, lost her father uh, suddenly, and we're kind of talking about some of the thoughts and feelings that she has had from that. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to the relationship you were saying with your family, you all were kind of like, it sounds like you were just really enmeshed. If, is that the proper yes. word? Uh, oh. Right afterwards. And how did that, because I think sometimes that happens with families and sometimes that doesn't give people permission to grieve. And sometimes it does. How did that work with you? And did you feel that that was helping everybody grieve or was everybody trying to protect each other or? I think everyone was trying to protect each other. I think everyone felt me. I felt I think everyone felt like I have to be strong so that they can feel. But we all felt that way about everyone. Yeah. So we were all trying to be strong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we were all just a mess inside. Yeah. But, but couldn't express it. Exactly. And so um and then when one would start crying, that would give permission for others to start crying. So mm -hmm. we would kind of cry at the same time. So then, we had grieving <laughs> sessions okay that were unscheduled but just happened yeah because we were there together all the time and it was helpful but i think it was also isolating mm -hmm. um because 
all you are around are people who are also grieving at the same time. And sometimes you just don't want that. You mm-hmm. want a breath of fresh air. Did, okay, another great point. <laughs> I mean, that is that is true. And, and that and a lot of people can feel guilty about that. Oh, yeah. So you felt you felt some guilt for feeling oh, that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, culturally, it's uh, we have a very family oriented culture where you don't leave anyone behind and uh, the children are expected to respect their family, their parents, especially. And so the narrative from our family members was don't leave your mother mm-hmm. alone always make sure she's with someone you guys stick together and i mean we took that literally so kind of keep her distracted make sure that yeah. she's doing okay go on outings i mean this was like mm-hmm. i i don't i'm yeah it was it was a lot and initially um actually i'm an avid volleyball player and i felt guilty for going and playing volleyball mm-hmm. because for those 2 hours i would not be with them and might be enjoying yourself. Yeah. And that's even worse. And was that <laughs> fair? Were, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. So it was a process of it's okay for me to step away from this house and not feel guilty. And How did you come to that conclusion? Um I realized that I it wasn't doing me very much good to to be in the house uh, mm-hmm. a lot. So before my father died, I was out and about active all the time. And that's, I just enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And so when that completely shifted, it almost, it, it was not beneficial to my coping, but I sacrificed mm-hmm. in that moment thinking that this was the best for them. Yes. So you've got a couple things going on there of setting yourself aside and your own yep. needs to grieve aside for your family, which then puts your grieving on hold, which a lot of times we don't realize that, you know, we're doing the family. And and I think when it comes to, to, to the cultural part, when it comes to families and what is expected in a family, that's what we do. We, you know, you were setting yourself aside to be there for your mom and to to live up to that expectation and to take care of that. And then that again, like as I said, can hinder the grieving process. And then you're realizing. So it was almost like you were realizing. I don't know. It's almost like you were being saturated with grief. Is that what what was yes. going on when you were with your family? It was just like I've got to get away from you guys. Yeah. And from from uh, not even maybe your grief, but get away from there. Just the energy. Yeah. You know, it's just palpable at that time, mm-hmm. especially from from my mom. Like that was her life partner, her best friend. And I have a different relationship with my father. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I don't know that exact feeling she's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of that kind of energy. And it's interesting because every individual didn't I don't think they knew they were giving that energy off I think they were like I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine be fine for everyone else but then you know Mm -hmm. we were all crumbling at the same time so no one was fine Mm -hmm. um so yeah it wasn't that beneficial to me yeah all right that's a let's let's take a short break um we will uh we'll come back and continue this conversation for a few for a few more minutes i am kathy cooper this is lost and found we will be right back there are two types of journeys in life there are those we choose to take and those that life takes us on from moments we'll never forget to those we must overcome i'm tim mcgraw join american airlines and stand up to cancer in our efforts to help make every person diagnosed with cancer a long-term survivor visit standuptocancer.org american airlines to learn more Stand up with us. To some, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much, but that's not true. They're testing out vowels and consonants and trying different sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on meaning, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at autismspeaks.org. 
Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. And we are back. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Loss and Found, where every loss matters and through every loss, something can be found. And today we are talking um, about uh, parent loss um, as, a, as a young adult, um, under 30. And I have Amina here. And do you notice I just keep calling you Amina? Because if I say <laughs> your name properly one time, I'm just wanting to stick with that. So I'm going to say your first name. You're going to say your last name. Amina. Okay. There you go. Thank you for being here. And, uh, You're very welcome. And sharing, um, sharing your insight. Uh, as you know, at the beginning, I, it's um, there's a lot of loss with young adults. And not a lot of people talk about it. And um, I think, did did you seek out, actually, that's just, did you seek out any kind of support groups or anything like that? And were you able to find anything if you did? Um, I considered it. But I think I found a lot of solace in just uh, processing things within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm an insightful person in life in general. And so I did, I took my time doing that, but hindsight, I think it would have been beneficial to just maybe once or twice go Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. support group to know that I am not alone in the themes that were coming up for me. Yeah. Um, Because I didn't know what was normal or not in this process of losing someone. That's a really good point. Just what's normal thoughts and feelings that I'm yeah. having. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and could I decipher the sadness that I felt? Was it sadness versus depression? Or was it, I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did not know. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought about it. I didn't seek it out. I think in, at that time in my life, um, I was in my graduate school program yeah. and I, I didn't have time. And I, I have to say the fact that you were able to graduate, you know, <laughs> that, I mean, that that's amazing. That that's you had some uh, emotional separation fortitude. And and I say that like as a as a compliment, because you. I, you know, this has to happen. People, you do have to separate things to get through certain events. And yeah. so, you know, you you weren't able with your life circumstance to really do the work that you're doing right now. And that's why, you know, your dreams, all of this stuff is coming about because in my opinion, that means in your life and in your spirit and in your heart, you're, you're at a point where, okay, I can start to process this. Um, So, so good for you in doing that. Thank you. Um, I think that is great. Um, Just if, um, if your dad were here, yes. (laughs) What are, what are some things like, how do you feel how do you feel you you've gone through this and as you know you're still his little girl but you're a little older and what do you think he'd be saying to you about about your life yeah and do you ever do you ever think like that do, what would my dad think yeah I do um I think I truly do think that he would be very proud of us myself but my our family mm-hmm. um I think it's incredible that I get to help individuals in the same institution and building that he received care for the last time in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was meant to be here. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just mm-hmm. think where I'm at now, I was meant to be here in this moment helping these people. Yeah. And it feels like a full circle. Uh, it has, it had its bumps to kind of get through because that was triggering in itself. I can imagine coming back into the hospital. Yeah, smell and sights yeah. and feelings. But I am so thankful to be able to provide care to the people that I do. So I think that he'd be really proud mm-hmm. of that. And he did say, you know, you're going to work here one day. I just know it. Like, it's going to be so cool. Oh, um, yeah. And I sometimes stop in the hallways and I say, yeah, Dad, I'm here. I made it. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yeah, and I think uh, him knowing that I completed my graduate program, he was my biggest fan. Mm. He was there when I submitted my application and one of the first people to find out that I got accepted. So he would have been very happy about that. Um, And I also think that he would say 
take it easy. Mm-hmm. Don't stress out so much. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be okay. Um, because, yeah. yeah, he's like, I think he would have been like, you know, you've done a lot. Yeah. Acknowledge that. Like, you're doing good, kid. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's that's an important part of honoring that relationship and being able to give yourself credit to know that, you know what, I feel like I am making some choices that my dad would be happy about and be proud of me for. And um, and that's another process of finding meaning and finding your, your way in life and honoring him. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I Well, I... I think, you know, sitting here listening to you, I'm just, um, I'm a, I'm amazed at, you know, where you are with the process, just in, and in, in that you, thank you for coming in and wanting to talk with us because, you know, you've got insight and you've got the strength to have the insight. And that's where the strength comes is being able to look at what where am I with my, my walk and, you know, with my, my grieving and my dad is coming to me in my dreams. What does that mean? And taking a look at that, being able to say in my relationship, you know what, that's a trigger for me when this happens and, and recognizing that that is amazing things, you know, and don't underestimate that at all. And I think that what, what we've heard today is you've just really walked a path that I think a lot of folks listening can, can um, relate to. And I also believe that you've been an example to for them to start maybe looking at at their own life in in the way that they are. And when you say full circle, me meeting you there at the hospital, you coming yeah. on to talk about your father. I mean that that is huge and and full circle right there. Absolutely, you're, his his death is now going to be able to. You're going to be you're touching hundreds of lives through your story and people being able to to recognize it. So. Um, it's a it's a great thing, and I I appreciate you, I appreciate you being here. I think it's um it takes courage to come talk, and I do uh, appreciate that you that you did come and say something. And I would be interested to know if you have any dreams tonight with your father <laughs> and what he might be might be saying because uh, I don't know. Do you feel his presence here at all or uh, yeah? Is that too? I I I do. All right. I do. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Amina is, uh, is a young woman who works at, as a social worker over at Evergreen Hospital. She does a great job. Um, we've gotten to know each other a little bit and um, just highly impressed. So I wanted her to come on and I felt like she would be a really good person to speak to young folks out there. I call them young. I mean, I guess I could be your mom, so I guess that <laughs> is young. But anyway, uh, thanks for coming on. And I, I just you. encourage you all to be gentle with yourself. I encourage you to be gentle with others. And um, remember, as Lao Chu said, new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. I'm Kathy Cooper. This is Lost and Found. I'll see you next week.